0: Welcome to the podcast for pet carers. If you're a pet parent or work in the pet care industry, then this is the podcast for you. Our show is about all things pet care, discussing everything from cats and kittens, dog training, pet nutrition, boarding, grooming, daycare, and much more. Join us fortnightly as our host and dog trainer extraordinaire, Glenn Cook, chats with leading pet industry professionals.
1: Welcome back to the podcast for pet carers. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and today's show is brought to our wonderful sponsors, Pet Resorts Australia and Canine Evolution. For all your daycare, boarding, cattery, training needs, you can see either one of those at www.petresortsaustralia.com or www.canineevolution.com.au. We have a guest here today, and full disclosure, it's my wife. Her name is Narelle Cook. She is an outstanding naturopath for both people and dogs, so she practices a lot of natural health remedies. And today, I'm going to hand it over to Narelle to talk to us about our topic. Hi, Narelle.
0: Hello, everyone, and it's great to be invited on the show. Today, I thought something really relevant, and I know you see it a lot, the trainers at Canine Evolution see it a lot, and that's the impact that diet has on dog behavior.
1: Mm, Not only dog behavior, but also us as well.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, most of the research and there's like burgeoning research in the field of what's been termed nutritional psychiatry. Mm -hmm. So a lot of research coming out in the human realm about just the critical connection between what we're eating on a daily basis and how we feel, our moods, mental health disorders and things like that. But dogs, they're not that different from a biochemical neurotransmitter perspective. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the research And there is more research coming out in dogs as well, which we'll sort of touch on as we go through the show. Anything for cats? I have to say, even though I've done some study across the board for small animals, Mm -hmm. my focus is dogs. Mm -hmm. So I will not claim to be knowledgeable about cats. They're a whole unique... Species. Well, they are obviously a different species, (laughs) but they've just got their own little quirks and nuances yeah, I'm not a cat nutritionist.
1: We are going to get a cat specialist on the show at some stage because this is a podcast that deals with all animals, so especially for those in pet caring needs. So at some stage, listeners who are saying, what about the cats? Cat behaviourist and cat specialists aren't that easy to come by. They're out there and mm. I am in contact with some of them. However, a lot of this show will be focused around dogs. Dogs are, I mean, even though both Narelle and I have dogs and a cat, Predominantly, we see mostly dogs.
0: That's right. And it is true. Cat nutritionists are rare. So Mm. there you go, an opening for someone. There's a market. There's a market. Look, it might sound cliche, but we really are what we eat. And, you know, because this show is focusing on behaviour, what I really want to get across is what drives behaviour for us and our dogs are all of these like amazing biochemical processes that are going on constantly in the body. But what a lot of people disconnect from and forget is that what drives these biochemical processes are all the nutrients that come in from the food that we eat and the food that we feed our pets. Mm. So what this means is pretty much everything we choose to feed our dogs will, in one way or other, directly or indirectly, be affecting their biochemistry, be affecting their physiology, including their brain, which will ultimately, at the end of the path, impact on how they behave.
1: Mm -hmm. It's been quite an evolution shift since I first started getting into dog training and behavior which is a long time ago now I I know I've said it on many shows but you know I've been in this industry now for 30 years mainly dealing with dog behavior and training and one of the things that strikes me and it's a great shift as well is seeing how many people have shifted from just feeding the same diet over and over again 365 days a year mm. to their pet and now they're starting to realize that that's not the way to conventionally feed animals, that there should be a little bit of a shift in what people are actually providing.
0: That's definitely true. And it's a really important point. I guess we won't be speaking, well, I guess I will be covering the importance of variety in diet today. But I think as people are starting to bring their pets into the family in a way that... Never used to happen back in the day, you know, Mm. dogs were outside and things like that. But our pets are really part of the family structure now. And I think that's a big part of why people are being more aware of the quality and the variety of the different foods that they're feeding. What I thought I might do is I'll get a little bit technical at the start here and then we'll sort of break it down into some food categories that can give pet owners some strategies that they can do to to see if it if you know if you've got a dog that's a bit stressful or you know prone to anxiety a really safe and easy place to start is to tweak the diet. So that's what we'll be focusing on as we move through the show. If we really take a step back, most people are aware that the main drivers of behavior for us are our hormones and our neurotransmitters. But what they may not be familiar with is that these compounds are the end product of those biochemical pathways that I mentioned earlier. And for those biochemical pathways to operate, they require what we call essential nutrient cofactors. So if we want our dogs or ourselves to have adequate serotonin, which is one of our feel-good neurotransmitters, Mm -hmm. in order to go from tryptophan down that pathway to serotonin, our bodies, our dogs' bodies, they need adequate magnesium, zinc, vitamin C, B vitamins – things like that and if they're not coming in through the diet at levels that our body needs then that will have a negative impact on the ability for those pathways to produce those feel-good calming neurotransmitters Mm. the other major connection point between you know what we're feeding our dogs and their behavior is due to what's called the enteric nervous system so the enteric nervous system it actually governs the function of the gastrointestinal tract and it links it to the central nervous system, which all sounds very wordy, but the point is, or an easier way to think about it, is it's referred to as the second brain. Mm -hmm. What this means is that every time we eat something, this enteric nervous system sends messages to our brain, which can then affect our emotional state. We also know that components in the food that we eat are constantly in communication with our genome and the genome of the microbes that are in our guts and our dog guts. We know that diseases of the brain can impact gut health. We know that diseases of the gut can impact mood and behaviour. In the naturopathic world, there's an expression we like to use that's leaky gut, leaky brain. Right. So it's really critical, whatever. And, you know, the biggest thing that's going to affect your dog's gut health is the food that you're feeding on a daily basis. Mm. We know now too, the gut's a really big part of the immune system. So if there's anything going wrong in the gut, that can lead to systemic inflammation in the body. And it may not be obvious that your dog's not feeling well, but if a dog's chronically inflamed over time, I mean, that's definitely going to affect how they're behaving and how they're feeling. I mean, we all know how we feel if we're a bit off and sometimes you don't know what it is. It's just You know, we have days and weeks and months where there might be something going on. So similar with our dogs. But if we think about some practical strategies, let's take protein to start with. Like our dogs are carnivores. From an evolutionary perspective, they're designed to eat a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. But many pet parents might be surprised to hear that the majority of commercial kibbles are probably bordering on being vegan, which is really scary. And a lot of people won't believe me, but... If you do want to learn how to interpret a commercial pet food label, I do have a course available online mm-hmm. at naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. But I'm assuming you'll have some show notes.
1: Yep, there'll be show notes so yep. we can link to all that so people can find how to do that course, mm. which is meant for the average person. Pet it's parents. not, it, yeah, pet parents. Mm. It's not for industry. Well, it is for industry people as well. It's mm. for everybody to get an idea of what they're feeding. Mm. Interesting point that you just mentioned in regards to most commercial pet foods being almost vegan. Mm. I saw in another group, somebody posted like an image of a pet food label underneath it. It said with real meat. And Mm. they said, why would you have to post that? And that kind of intrigued me as well. Like I always believed, and it was always my interpretation that commercial pet foods were mostly made up of meat, but they're Mm. not. They're made up of a lot of grains and fillers and so forth, which again, is in your online course that you can actually direct people to and they can surprise themselves with what they'll learn and maybe even horrify themselves with what they'll learn.
0: Well, that's the thing. The very nature of kibble and how it's manufactured, it needs a minimum percentage of carbohydrates and the estimate that's given is around 30%. But a lot of kibbles are go up to 60% carbs and that is things like soy, corn, lentils, wheat, rice. And it's interesting that post you saw with real meat Because once you understand naming terminology in the pet food industry, the fact that they use the word with in itself indicates that there only needs to be at least 3% animal protein in that food. Mm. If a dog food says Fido's dog food with real beef, there only needs to be at least 3% beef in that product. Goodness me. So that is really scary when our dogs are...
1: Largely carnivores.
0: Carnivorous, yeah. Mm. I guess the problem from a nutritional perspective when our dogs are consuming such grain heavy foods is that plant sources of protein have a lower biological value and that's because they don't contain all of the essential amino acids that our dogs need for long-term optimal health and well-being Mm. and they also have a lower digestibility. So this is why kibble manufacturers pretty much for the most part need to add back in synthetic Amino acids to make sure that our dogs are getting all of the essential amino acids that they would normally get in adequate amounts from an animal protein source. Mm. And there was a study done which assessed the protein levels in quite a few puppy branded kibbles, and it found that only 75% of the protein listed on the guaranteed analysis, which is similar to our nutritional panel on human food packets. Mm-hmm. So only 75% of the protein was available for the pups to absorb and utilise within their bodies. And that's because of that lower bioavailability and digestibility of plant proteins. But what this meant was that the pups were consuming actually less than the official guidelines for protein on a daily basis. And I mean, puppyhood is such a critical time for growth and development for dogs, for our puppies not to be getting even the minimum amount of protein they need to thrive not only does that affect the obvious things like growth and you know, muscle mass and joints and bones, but inadequate protein has been associated with gastrointestinal disorders, and I see a lot of gut problems in dogs in my clinic, mm. disruption of hormones, and behavioural and learning defects. So again, that's something I guess you would see more of, that side of things, you and mm. canine evolution. But it could go back to the fact that that puppy didn't get enough highly bioavailable, you know, species-appropriate protein in those critical months of development.
1: Which is quite terrifying to a whole. really, because we talk about the critical period of development in aspect to adequate levels of socialisation. And for a long time, diet has been largely disregarded. In another podcast that you and I were doing your podcast – you were talking about how people keep their puppies on milk for way too long, well beyond the term that they actually are required to be on it. So people might be thinking, if I'm a pet carer, how is this going to affect me? One of the areas which it does for anybody that's in the pet care industry, whether you're daycare, a training centre, a boarding kennel, whatever – One of the aspects that we have to come to terms with is any time that you change your dog's environment, there's going to be a level of stress that's occurred. Mm. So when your dog leaves home and comes to a boarding kennel, leaves home, comes to a daycare centre, leaves home, goes to a training centre, it's going to endure stress. That's normal and it's going to happen regardless of whatever happens. Happens to us as well. Anytime we leave where we're comfortable, we endure a small amount of stress. So as Narelle's been pointing out, if you – impact your dogs as well with their diet so their diet is inadequate their capability and their ability to deal with levels of stress is significantly lower the problem there is they already come in in a much heightened level of stress whereas if their body is not under load not under stress then they feel better they act better and they cope with stress so much easier Mm. so when people are hearing this and they're saying well i don't want to stress my dogs Stress is a normal part of life and small amounts of stress is essential. You have to have it. It helps us grow. It helps us change. It helps us. It's a coping mechanism for a lot of things. It, it, it can be a strengthener, but there's an old medical saying that the difference between the cure and the poison is in the dose. And it's mm. exactly the same thing with stressors as well. So don't be alarmed when you hear your dog is going to be stressed. It's normal. It's a normal part of life. What isn't good if you keep adding catalysts to it, if you're familiar also with that term, the straw that broke the camel's back, it's the same with environmental stressors. And that can be a social stressor. That could be a diet-related stressor. But if they're too significant, then you will get a point where the dog can break. And then you can see that, portrayed in a behavioral onset that you don't really want to see, such as aggression or high levels of fear and so forth. Because there are times where people will have a dog that seems socially fine at home, but when they go to the daycare center or to a boarding facility and the owner or the operator comes back to them and says, oh, your dog was really nervous and really reactive when it came here. And people are shocked. They say, well, what did you do What did you do? Mm. That's the question that they'll ask. What did you do? Did you do something to my dog? But the reality is, is that the dog had so many things. It's just another catalyst that's been mounted on top of one that was already significant and then the back of the camel broke. These are things that we need to be significantly aware of as people in the pet care industry and even pet parents who own pets because they don't understand why this happened well, now I've just explained it and so have you in regards mm. to inadequate diet and also a paradigm shift in where the dog is so it's changed from its home environment into an environment that it's not aware of and had it been probably better socialised maybe mm. and had it had a better diet, the reactivity from the dog would have been significantly less. The term or the time frame that the dog reacted would have been significantly less. So these are little building blocks that we can actually do to develop a better mindset or better coping mechanisms for dogs.
0: Absolutely. And it's never, as you've indicated, it's never just one thing. Mm. Um, When it comes to health, when it comes to behaviour, it's usually the input of lots of different things, lowering the threshold for that animal. And as you said, they might become more reactive because of all those different factors playing on that dog. When I'm dealing with health issues in dogs, Again, there might be lots of little factors that are lowering a dog's threshold for, let's say, reacting to an environmental allergen. Mm -hmm. As we go through and I give some practical dietary tips, it doesn't have to be all or nothing and it doesn't have to be done in a rush. Like Mm -hmm. there is no urgency to this. It should be just done gradually and it should always be based on your dog. So never compare yourself. You know, we always say in the training industry, in the health industry, always work with the dog in front of you. Yep. So... When it comes to protein, before you move on, there are so many easy things that pet parents can do to improve the quality of their diet from a protein perspective. So, even if you're feeding kibble, it's accepted that you can remove you know, up to 20% of that kibble meal and replace it with whole foods that aren't necessarily nutritionally complete and balanced. So, a pet owner might take out, I don't know, 5%, 10% of, a, of a, their dog's food and add in like a fresh egg, mm-hmm. cooked or raw, it doesn't matter. Add in some canned sardines. If there's some mince that's on special at the supermarket, just adding in some real whole raw foods, although I should say it doesn't always have to be raw. Even a cooked animal protein is still going to be significantly better than a kibble version. Simple things like that, you know, if you're at the butchers and they've got some beef liver or beef heart, you know, it's so cheap to buy and just cutting some up and you can freeze little portions of it and just add that into your dog's diet. I just thought too, when you were talking before, and I don't know if you've mentioned this on the show before, but we are starting to see a shift now with trainers asking pet owners to transition their dogs onto raw food diets to help optimize training outcomes as well because yep. of the influence on the dog's behavior. And I just find that really, I love that, that that sort of paradigm shift is happening and trainers are becoming more aware as well of the importance of diet in what they're doing.
1: When you're talking about that transition, I've seen some real old school hardcore trainers that were pure kibble trainers back in the day who are now transitioning to a better source of reward for their dog as well, like a more complete and balanced reward. Mm. So instead of just having, you know, like a pellet that they're giving the dog, they're actually usually like a freeze-dried meat product. So beef, lamb, venison, chicken, something like that. So instead of just having the old school way of doing it, they transitioned over which I thought was really cool it was mm. really it was really nice to see that people are becoming more wise like they're actually listening to the science and they're listening to people like yourself for people at home who don't know who you are first and foremost a scientist so you've done a bachelor agricultural science
0: bachelor degree in agricultural science with honors at the university of melbourne mm-hmm. bachelor of health science naturopathy yep quite a few advanced diplomas naturopathy nutritional medicine herbal medicine
1: And a lot of canine-related courses as well. A lot
0: of animal nutrition and natural animal nutrition qualifications.
1: You have quite a significant research background where you spend a lot of time researching the best products that people should be looking into to feeding their pets.
0: I've been a human naturopath, nutritionist and herbalist for quite a few years now and in the last three years I've started transitioning onto animal nutrition. That's why I see primarily dogs in my clinic And diet is huge, you know, for gut health, for skin health, for allergies. We do a lot of work on diet. So it is an area that I'm very passionate about.
1: One other point that I do want to just quickly point out is that you're not a person that focuses on the woo-woo side of things. Like it's all based on researched and documented, scientifically proven results.
0: That's right. Everything I do, I aim to be evidence-based because if I can't justify why I'm asking an owner or anyone in the industry to either give their dog a certain food or a certain supplement. I don't find that acceptable. Like, I can't just answer someone with, Oh, because I say so, you mm. know, there needs to be a justification and for why I give my recommendations in clinic. But if we come back to the of diet on behavior, one of probably the biggest influences when it comes to our dogs is that high carbohydrate load that they're consuming through commercial kibbles. Whatever the source, carbs are ultimately broken down into glucose or sugar Mm. in the body. And because kibble is so highly refined, the carbohydrates are digested and absorbed super rapidly. It's like any highly processed food that a human might consume. Mm. So that creates this rapid surge in blood glucose levels. And some researchers have described this like sugar high, basically, that it can manifest in dogs from a behavioral perspective – as hypersensitivity to normal everyday stimuli. Mm. It can contribute to uncooperative and disobedient behavior and even like a lack of focus. So that's what the bigger researchers out there are saying, that this is one part of diet that may be impacting behavior. And this is why, because it's affecting their blood glucose levels. It's affecting their insulin levels. And we all know as people when the whole concept of hangry And a lot of people, now this is not every dog, just like it's not every person, different people and different animals have different sensitivities to changes in things like blood glucose. I always give the example of you and I. I'm very sensitive to blood glucose fluctuations. So mm. I feel great when I have a source of carbohydrate, but if I go too long without eating, then I, you know, I get anxious. Well, not anxious, I get irritable. Mm. Yes, yes I do. do. <laughs> so that's an impact of blood glucose, you know, rising and and dropping and things like that. And it can really affect dog behaviour as well. When you've got a dog that's having these fluctuations throughout the day, if you're constantly giving kibble treats to your dog throughout the day, they're going to be on a roller coaster throughout the day. And not only can it make them a bit more reactive and hyperactive, it can also compromise cognitive abilities such as learning and memory. So you're sort of starting on the back foot if you're trying to train your dog, if they're in this state of up and down. Mania. Yeah, basically. Mm. If we're talking about carbohydrates, they have been linked with increased allergic reactions in dogs because it sort of promotes the release of histamine from mast cells. And this is gluten-containing cereal grains more specifically. And it's even been linked to inflammatory bowel disease in people and dogs. We won't have time in this podcast, but kibble is very pro-inflammatory in the body for a lot of reasons, but one is the production of Maillard products, which is results in advanced glycation end products and things like acrylamide, which are both toxic compounds, which create a lot of inflammation and disease in the body for both us and our pets, Mm -hmm. which I did a whole podcast on for natural health for people and pets.
1: Yeah. So I was going to say before, I know we've mentioned it, I have, and now you have, but if people want a lot more information on this, you've covered this in specific detail per episode on a lot of these issues. So people can go Mm -hmm. to your podcast.
0: Natural Health for People and
1: Pets. Natural Health for People and Pets. They go to that podcast and they can listen to episodes that you've done on a lot of specific feeding programs, issues with inadequacies in diets, why we should supplement with certain things.
0: Hmm. There's quite a few there that I think most pet parents would be interested in. Yeah. Another really big point with commercial pet foods that a lot of people, again, don't pay attention to when it comes to their animals is a lot of them have added synthetic colours, flavours and preservatives. A lot of parents out there of children will know if you fill your kids with a lot of artificial colours, red cordial and things like that, that they do tend to go a little bit manic.
1: Yeah, red cordial was banned from our house when we were kids and a lot of my friends as well. Actually, my best friend growing up, his father was the one that convinced my mum not to have red cordial in the house.
0: It's no different with our pets. Those artificial colours and flavours and preservatives can absolutely impact the behaviour of our animals. Mm. So really important when you are, and this is not an anti, sounds like an anti-kibble podcast, but it's not designed to be that way. It's designed to get you to think about what you're feeding, what you can do a little bit differently and educate yourself. Turn the bag over and read the ingredient list for what you're feeding your dog.
1: Mm advice.
0: It'll be there. They'll list the colours. So you want as little added synthetic things.
1: It's even better now that there's more transparencies on what's listed.
0: Yeah. In terms of, for people who like a drier option for their dogs for convenience, there's some really great air dried and freeze dried products on the market. Now things like Canine Naturals and Zeewee Peak, they're pretty much as close to raw, but being dry as you can get. So there, there's nothing synthetic or added into those. I'm a huge fan. For people who are interested in raw, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. If you just want to experiment, you know, I would firstly recommend just go buy a box of big dog raw food patties. Mm -hmm. So easy, like individual portions that you can just take out one at a time, see if your dog likes it, transition them slowly. So that's a really super easy option and one that all of our dogs.
1: And they have so many variations too. So if just because it doesn't like one, it doesn't mean it won't like one of the others as well.
0: Lots of different varieties and different proteins. So always something interesting, which brings us back to our original point of the importance of variety in our dog's diet. So even though I'm not a fan of grains and legumes for our dogs, not all carbs are bad. And, you know, there's a lot of research around the benefits of adding plant matter into our dog's diets, Mm -hmm. particularly our senior dogs. So the brain is extremely vulnerable to what's called oxidative damage, and that can cause the death of neurons and result in reduced cognitive function which then results in changes in behaviour. So senior and geriatric dogs often display what's called canine cognitive dysfunction, which can manifest as impaired learning and memory. They might show increased anxiety, disorientation, have a reduced ability to interact socially. There might be increased house soiling, destructive behaviours, disturbances in sleep patterns. So all of that can sort of be categorised under canine cognitive dysfunction, which can can be seen in older dogs. It's sort of like our Alzheimer's disease. But studies have shown that feeding senior dogs a diet rich in antioxidants by adding in a mixture of different fruits and vegetables can actually counteract the effects of that free radical damage on the brain, leading to decreased rates of cognitive decline and improvements in behaviour. So who doesn't want that for their senior dogs? Mm. And I just think that's amazing. Like the fact that they've done the research to show that all those bright, colourful fruits and vegetables that are so beneficial for us and our health also impart the same amazing health benefits for our dogs as well.
1: Fancy that.
0: Well, it is because a lot of people, you know, don't think about fruits and veg for their dogs, but it's such an easy addition. So again, if you're feeding a kibble-based diet, one of the best things you can do is take up to 20% of that kibble out, add in some fresh mince meat, add in some sardines, add in some egg, add in some leftover vegetables. You don't have to cook anything special separately for your dog. But if the kids don't eat all their beans or their broccoli, put it in the dog's bowl.
1: There must be so many farmers that are laughing their heads off at us Mm. over this. Let's say, for example, if they slaughter an animal and live off that and then they gave the dog all the leftover bits, the organs, the edible bones and so forth, and then they were giving them an egg here and there or giving them the table scraps like the boiled vegetables, Mm. which they do and that's how they raise their dogs. They must be having a field day with this because literally for a hundred years or so when farmers and dogs have been working together, I know this in Australia for a fact because my Uncle Ray used to do Mm. this on his farm. So his dogs, whenever he would slaughter a sheep or something like that, or a chicken or something like that, the dogs would get all the leftover, all the organs and the edible bones and everything that I mentioned before. and. My auntie would boil vegetables and she'd always make excess, and they put it in a pot and put it out there for the dogs to eat. Mm. And his dogs were still working and fielding sheep at 12, 13, 14 Mm. years of age, and they were still fit and healthy because they got plenty of exercise. They were out all day, they're drinking a lot of
0: stimulation.
1: A lot of stimulation. You know, they were doing the thing that they were born to do. They were eating well all the time, like they were eating the same foods we were. Yeah, I remember when Ray used to show me his dogs and I used to think they were young and he'd say, oh, that dog's 12. You see a lot of dogs at 12 years of age now and they're old. You can see that their age onset in them. But uh, I mean, even Rodney Habib, he's regarded as one of the leading researchers now on animal health. He found that some of the oldest living dogs in fact came from South Australia in Australia, which were cattle dogs or property dogs as well. Mm. And it's because the owner was feeding them good homegrown foods.
0: Yeah, I'll just say on that, Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney Habib have just released a book recently called The Forever Dog. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of it, Google it. It's a really great book on everything we can do nutritionally. is a big part of it, but everything we can do to – ensure our dogs live their longest and best life. Mm-hmm. Just on what you're saying, a lot of pet owners, or a lot of people full stop, probably don't know or think about the fact that kibble has only been in existence for like 100 years. Mm. Like it's a new thing. We've just been convinced that it's the only way to feed an animal it's, now.
1: It's convenient. That's why. It's convenient and it's so well marketed.
0: Mm. It is. But there's lots of other convenient ways to feed our dogs. Mm-hmm. So, we'll keep going with. We've spoken about protein, we've spoken about carbohydrates, and how both of those can impact our dog's behavior. The other key area of diet is fat. So, fat plays such a key role in the function of the brain and the body. So, it's absolutely going to have an impact on behavior. And the way that it contributes to that is our dogs need fats for brain structure and function, for hormone production the integrity of the neuronal membranes, and that's something we know very well. We've got a French bulldog with a spinal injury, so we need all of the nerves and the myelin sheaths and everything to be as healthy as possible for that particular dog, Mm -hmm. cellular communication, and the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. Now, most dogs would get enough fat in their diet. Unfortunately, most diets, and it's the same with us, are disproportionately high in omega-6 fatty acids Relative to omega-3 fatty acids, and that's because you find omega-6 fats in things like corn and soy and vegetable oils, which is what is added to kibbles as the fat source.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas, you know, what our dogs really need more of are the omega-3 fats in their diet, and the best sources of omega-3 fats come from things like, you know, salmon, sardines, mackerel, so those oily fish, and marine sources also provide our dogs with those really potent anti-inflammatory compounds, EPA and DHA, which is important for their health and behaviour as well. And there's a lot of research now suggesting that omega-3 deficiency may be associated with mood and behavioural disorders. Mm -hmm. For example, we know now that DHA is absolutely crucial in the diet of puppies to ensure optimal neurological development. And the studies have shown that supplementing a puppy's diet with DHA led to improved learning and trainability. Again, who doesn't want easier training when it comes to puppies? Absolutely. And there was a study done on German Shepherds that showed aggressive dogs had lower plasma levels or blood levels of DHA and a higher ratio of that omega-6 to omega-3 than non-aggressive dogs. And I just find, I mean, it's one study, but I find that fascinating that they were able to make that connection between blood levels of omega-6 and omega-3 and aggression. Studies have shown that adding MCT oil into the diets of senior dogs can lead to significant improvements in learning, trainability and mood. And they also found that the senior dogs were less anxious and more social. So MCT oil, you can buy from the supermarket just in the oil section. But I do have to say when it comes to fish oil, quality does matter. So once you open a bag of kibble. Those fats, whether the bag claims to have omega-3 fats or whatever they're saying, they start to degrade and oxidize and go rancid. Mm. So ideally, once you open a bag of kibble, if you can't keep it in a freezer or a fridge because of space limitations, I mean, most people don't have that sort of ability, but you need to be using that food up within a couple of weeks or at least within a month. Otherwise, you really are just feeding your dog rancid fats, particularly if you store it somewhere where the temperature is unstable. If you keep it like a 15 kilo bag of dog food in the garage or you tip it out into a bin of some description to make it easier to scoop out, all of that is accelerating the degradation of those fats in the food
1: right Mm, that's important to know so if people are got a solitary dog rather than buying a huge bag of food and thinking they're saving money they're better off buying a smaller bag of food
0: unfortunately yes Mm -hmm. if you've got a multi-dog household great buy the bigger bags but if you've just got a small dog don't buy the biggest bag because you're not doing your dog any favors long term Mm. i was going to say too it's not behavioral related but when we're talking about the amazing benefits of plant matter There was a study that showed that dogs that received a variety of vegetables at least three times a week to a kibble diet, it might've been up to an 80% risk reduction in cancer. Mm -hmm. I keep coming back to how simple it is just to add these little things into our dog's diet, you know, like it used to be done back in the day, Mm. can have enormous benefits. Even if you're thinking, oh, what difference is this going to make? It can make a huge difference. Yeah. That should give pet owners some ideas of what they might do differently with their dog's diet. But I do appreciate, as I said earlier, it's never just one thing. And some dogs have more severe stress and anxiety and nervousness than other dogs. So definitely start with diet because diet is the foundation to health. Mm -hmm. But I guess the next step up, if someone's tried all the dietary approaches with their dog, their dog's on either a raw food diet or a cooked sort of whole food diet. Then I would say, well, they might want to try a natural supplement that's targeting that stress response. Funny, in the
1: we're dog. speaking about natural supplements because we might as well go into a shameless plug and talk about the best range now on the market of canine supplements called Canine Pseudocles. How would they find that? Canine Pseudocles.
0: You can find all the details and all the product range at canineceuticals.com.au, and that is spelled C A N I N E C E U. T I C A L S dot mm-hmm. com Canon is a range I developed because as a human healthcare practitioner for so many years now. I'm so used to using only the highest quality supplements for my human clients. But when I started treating dogs, I was so surprised to find that there wasn't an equivalent for the most part Mm. in that space. So I went about creating my own range. So it's for dogs. It's all human grade ingredients. Mm. So 100% human grade, nothing synthetic or artificial added in complete transparency for what you're getting part of the range that's relevant to what we're talking about today, there are a couple of products that are targeting stress and anxiety in dogs. One's called Stress Ease. Now that's a liquid herbal blend that's just really lovely. You can adjust the dose depending on your dog. You can talk to me or message me if you're not sure where to start with it, but that tends to be a faster acting product. So that would be great if you know your dog's anxious coming into say a kennel environment or a daycare environment give it to the dog in the morning if the dog's going to be staying for an extended period of time, give it to the staff and give instructions on how to use it during Mm -hmm. their stay. The other one is called Relax and it's a natural plant terpene blend which is acting on the endocannabinoid system of the body which is what products like CBD Mm -hmm. are working on. It's not CBD, it doesn't contain CBD or THC but it has a very, again, calming effect on dogs. It's a little bit slower acting so it usually takes – maybe two, three weeks to start to notice a difference. But both of those beautiful products and can definitely help with managing low to mild levels of anxiety and stress in dogs, but definitely helps them cope better. For example, a kennel environment. Everything we've spoken about today, diet can have such a huge impact on how our dogs behave. And again, it's so simple. There's lots of things that pet owners can do to experiment with what they're giving their dog. Get out of the habit of just going and buying the same dog food every time you go to the pet store. Have a look around, see what's new because there's a lot of improvements now because consumers are demanding a higher quality for their pets. So companies are starting to step up. There's some great brands, like I said, Ziwi Peak, Canine Naturals. They're just two big dog, have an amazing range of raw food patties, Mm -hmm. easy options. All of those are super convenient. So really no excuse not to try something.
1: Absolutely agree. Well, Narelle, once again, thank you for your expert advice. Really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. How would people find you if they want to learn more about this?
0: One is my clinical practice, Natural Health Nutrition. So the website for that is naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. There's a contact page there, or you can email me directly, narelle at naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. Then there's the Canine Cedicals website, which has its contact page as well, And the email attached to that is info at Mm caninesuticals.com.au. Either way will get to me. It doesn't matter if your question is the same. If you're not sure which email to use, don't worry. Just pick one. It'll get to me and I can answer any questions that you might have.
1: And as we mentioned before, you've got your own podcast called?
0: Natural Health for People and Pets.
1: Natural Health for People and Pets. And people can learn a lot more about subject matter that you're what i'm passionate about what you yeah great what you're passionate about i think that's great all right so thank you very much also to our main sponsors canine evolution and pet resorts australia which you can locate them on petresortsaustralia.com and canineevolution.com.au thank you once again for listening to the show hope you got something meaningful beneficial and educational out of it and we'll see you on the next one